Well, this week, there are going to be people across the country gathering around tables, right? Families and friends getting together, sharing a meal. It's probably one of the most important meals in the American culture is what happens this week. People get serious, right, about their recipes and about whose stuffing is better than somebody else's and how, whether or not you brine the turkey. I know, any deep fryers of turkeys out there? No, I've never had one. I hear that they're really, really, yeah? You've done it? Okay, I hear they're really, really good. But the table that people gather around, the table carries weight. It's packed with significance, with emotion, with life. I remember sitting at the table when my parents first met my soon-to-be husband's parents, right? There was a lot of significance around that table, a lot of emotion around that table, I remember sitting at a table with my parents then a few years later as their very young daughter, freshly married, said, oh, by the way, you're going to have your first grandchild. And my mother, after a long pause, said, this is going to be a good thing. It's at the table where relationships are forged. It's at the table important things are discussed. It's at many tables that people will walk away from this week angry because their crazy uncle said something totally offensive that you disagree with about politics, right? But it's why families who sit together and have dinner together multiple times a week, studies show that statistically kids are going to be more emotionally healthy, they're going to have better grades, make healthier choices, because what happens around the table matters, It carries significance. The weight of the table can't be ignored. And in Scripture, God's own story is bookended by different meals that carry very different significance. Our story in Genesis begins with a meal, not around a table, but around a tree with an apple. It has very significant meaning. And then the Bible ends with this great banquet and a new creation that we'll all be invited to. And Jesus, last night, with his friends, before he went to the cross, he spent time with them gathered around a table. His disciples are gathered there celebrating the feast of unleavened bread, celebrating the Passover together. They were remembering that they are a blessed people who have been broken by slavery in some seasons, been broken by sin in other seasons, but through God's grace, this blessed and broken people are put in a position to then give themselves away to the nations of the world, blessed amidst their brokenness for the sake of the world. Jesus gathering there with his friends around a table. Nancy read for us in Matthew 26, it says, during the meal, Jesus took some bread in his hands He blessed it and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat it. This is my body. There's a pattern that we see in scripture. Anytime we see Jesus with bread, what does he do? He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it away. And today we're going to look at these three movements, the blessing and the breaking and the giving Because there's a whole lot summed up in those three actions that Jesus 
We see him do over and over again. There's a reason why the table, the communion table, is central to our practice as a church. There's a reason that tables are so important. Blessed, broken, given. I want to show you a way of seeing life today that makes sense of Christianity and of the table. These three moves, they represent and show us our God and they show us our story. When we understand them and what they mean and how we incorporate it into our everyday life, a lot of good stuff can happen. First, blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Today's world, what do you think of when you think of blessed, right? Hashtag blessed. Yeah, I saw all of you mouthing it. Hashtag blessed. I got my new coat. I got my new boots. I got my new car. I'm meeting at this great place. I'm with my family. I'm on this awesome vacation. Hashtag blessed. Which all of these things are great things, right? None of us would say, I don't want any of these things. But when we, when we take blessed and we narrow it down to a hashtag, and only when the good things are happening, what do we do when things aren't going so well? We all know that our lives are full of ups and full of downs, sometimes for very long stretches at a time. Hashtag blessed, although great to see what you all are eating, can be superficial, right? Surface level. The type of blessing that is described in Scripture is much deeper. It transcends our circumstances, and it has to do with who we are and how we are made. To understand this kind of blessing, we need someone else to tell us our story. This last week was Judah, my four-year-old's birthday, And every year on my kid's birthday, we tell them their origin story. They can't know it themselves. They don't remember. They weren't there. (laughs) Well, they were there, but not mentally. You know what I mean. We tell them where we lived. We tell them how we were feeling, all of the chaos and drama that led up to their arrival. We show them pictures. We talk about all the people who came to visit. And now, these days, They ask for it. They know when it comes time for their birthday, they say, tell me what I was like. Tell me what it was like when you saw me for the first time. Even our kids that we've brought into our family through adoption, we say, we remember when we walked into the room and we saw you sitting in that chair, your little legs dangling too short to touch the floor. Ask for it. Tell us what we were like. It's It's their origin story. And our origin story collectively is one of blessing. Our Judeo-Christian origin story is set apart from other origin stories of the time. For people in ancient times, the questions were not, did God make the world and how, but rather, which gods made the world and why? Religious traditions of this time were that man was made, often accidentally, to serve the gods who were too lazy wanted the humans to make them happy, keep them from doing work. But our origin story, that's found in Genesis 1, is very different. Genesis 1, it reveals that there's only one God. There's not many gods, but there's only one God. And this one God had you in mind. He makes you and he blesses you. And he calls you good. 
He makes the earth. He makes the water. He makes the trees. He makes the mountains. He makes the animals. And what does he say? It is good. He makes people and says they are very good. There's relationship. There's blessing, enjoyment. Our creation was careful. It was methodical. It was thought out. And you are lovely simply because God loves you. This means that you are good and you are beautiful even when you're not feeling it. Even when circumstances aren't going the way you want to. You're good and you're beautiful even when others say different. See, the book of Genesis was written to the nation of Israel when they were in captivity in Babylon. The author is reminding them that it doesn't matter what mess you're in, that's not what defines you. There's one God who made you, loves you, sees you, and will always bring order out of chaos. But this isn't how the city works. This isn't how our culture works. The city and religious institutions often have us understand our origin story with the messes that we are. Instead of beginning with God's blessing of us, the rhythms of the city tell us we're not enough. We need more power. We need more significance. We need to be more attractive. We need to never, ever age. Think about it. When you get on the train, it doesn't take more than three trains to be told that you should have enough money to be ordering seamless every night, right? That you need to be sleeping with magical sheets that will make everything in a mattress, that will make everything about your life better, right? And that you need to frequent the sex museum. That's another place you need to go all the time. You're being told you should have more and better, that others have more and better, and that you should have more and better too. And if you don't have more and better, then something's wrong with you. The city tries to name you. This isn't the God of Genesis. This is the God of mammon, money. It's the God of Mars, of power. It's not the one true God where we find our origin, who from the very beginning says, you are blessed The city has a start with Genesis 3 where that apple is eaten at that first meal that is recorded. The Christian God, seen in Jesus himself, says, do not forget as you walk these streets that Genesis 1, it is very good, comes before Genesis 3. Our salvation is not something we can achieve by ourselves. We cannot bless ourselves. It's an act that is done to us. Bread, right? It's so simple. It's so common. Every culture has some version of bread. You've got roti, naan, baguettes, tortillas, all kinds of bread. It's mundane. It's a part of our life. Every time Jesus took the bread, the mundane, the ordinary, he blessed it. He would turn it into something more, but also he'd be returning it to what God had originally made it to be. There's this thing, we talk about the sacraments, right? And the sacraments, the sacramental way of believing and understanding the world is that God is always active, He's always at work. He's always present. And we have to wake up to his presence. It's why we take communion. 
It's the idea that the sacred is right here in our midst. We just have to engage in it and see it that way. It's good and holy because it was blessed by God. The ordinary bread, the ordinary wine, the ordinary you on your ordinary day. Bread doesn't need to be something different than bread to be a sign of God's presence. It's precisely what bread was made to be. Bread doesn't need to be transformed into something else to be a means of God's presence. That's what bread and wine and the whole earth itself was made to be, a carrier of God's glory, as are you. So when we think about blessing, when we think about blessed, my question for you is who is naming you right now? What is naming you right now? What is defining you? That's not this Genesis 1 story. And what do you think of the ordinary? Are you so caught up in trying to get the perfect day, the perfect whatever, that you can truly feel that you're blessed? Or are you able to see the ordinary, the everyday, as a tremendous, outstanding blessing because God has made you and he has called you good? from before the foundations of the earth were made? How is it in your life that you are rehearsing your origin story? Because you have so many other origin stories coming at you. So how is it that you're rehearsing this story? It's why we gather together as a church. We are rehearsing our blessedness. We don't do this at home from a podcast there are some great podcasts out there. You can listen to people who can preach their, your face off, man. They're so good. But there's something about coming to a space and seeing people face to face, seeing the people around us, forced to rehearse this idea that, yes, God calls us good. He calls us blessed. And we have access to his presence amidst and next to people that we often see in light of Genesis 3 and the mistakes and messes that they are. So we are blessed. Jesus, he takes the bread, he takes the ordinary, and he blesses it, returning to what God had originally designed it to be. And then he breaks it, blessed and broken. I want you to think about who's sitting around that table with Jesus that night. Peter, who's about to deny him, about to say he doesn't even know him, Judas, who's about to betray him, are there. Jesus blesses and he breaks the bread in the presence of Judas. Our God takes on skin and comes into the world as Jesus and he attaches himself through this deep act of hospitality at the Passover feast. Most important meal to Judas I want you to see this. This is a prophetic and important move. As he breaks the bread, he's saying, we are connected. My body will be broken because of your brokenness. Jesus is able to hold both our blessedness and our brokenness in his hands at the same time. In our polarized culture, we are so quick to jump on to the public shaming and the casting out that we forget the blessedness of the people whose brokenness has just been exposed. As soon as we see the brokenness, we say, that's it. We forget that they have first been blessed. 
We forget the blessedness of our, own, of our own selves, of our own lives, when we're caught in guilt and sin and shame. See, brokenness, there's two different aspects to brokenness. There's our frailty and there's our failure. Frailty is the reality that we are human, right? We're fragile. At some point, our bodies are going to stop working. I don't like getting older. It's terrible, but we can't do it all. We have limits. Right? I know some of you still don't believe that and you're working as though you don't, but we have limits. We're frail. It's important for us to acknowledge that and recognize our brokenness. It's also important to recognize our failure, not just our frailty. We have to be honest about our sin. To be broken, to acknowledge our frailty, and to acknowledge our sin and guilt is to be opened up to grace. When a bread is broken, right? That's when it gets good. That's when it can soak up the sauce or the curry or the olive oil or the butter. When I'm sitting at the table with my kids, if there's a roll and I try to go in a hurry and slap some butter on top, they're like, no, no, no. You got to open that up and get that inside, right? The reality is we have to be broken in order to soak up and to receive the grace of God. A necessity of experiencing grace, of experiencing the grace of God is acknowledging that we first need it. If someone else is naming you outside of God, you're going to either pretend or perform or pass over your brokenness. But it's the brokenness that lets in the grace. Not without denying, not with denying your blessedness, not with forgetting that but holding both together. 2 Corinthians says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I wish that I could say that I live out that statement fully all the time that I'm like yes I'm a mess no that's not how I like to live I like to pretend that I've got it all together this was one of those weeks where my limits were on full display for anyone around me I couldn't get everything done I could not get things done there was not enough time I could not stop myself from being nasty to my spouse He's he's finally said, you can't text me these things anymore. Don't you know you can't erase that? It's out there somewhere in the cloud, right? There's a reality that it's in that. It's in my brokenness and my weakness. And finally then I was able to come and go, I need forgiveness. And experience grace and reconciliation that's much deeper and honest than if I had pretended, well, I'm in the right And there's just too many expectations on my life anyway. Question for you is, how honest are you able to be about your brokenness with yourself, with others, and with God? I know that there are some times we'll say, well, I'm honest with God about my brokenness. He knows, right? He sees everything. But the reality is, there's no one around you 
that you're honest with about your brokenness. And may I suggest that if there's not someone around you, if no one else knows the brokenness in your life, chances are you're lying to yourself and you're certainly not being honest with God. One of the reasons that communion is so important is because we come around the table together and we acknowledge our flaws. We're honest about our brokenness and we rejoice that God loves us so much he meets us right where we really are. So we are blessed, broken, and then given. When our kids were small, and sometimes still today, we would hold as often as we could nightly dance parties, Sadler family dance parties. And we would put on everything from like 70s rock to MC Hammer to Motown to the Macarena and just let them go. And sometimes Dan and I, we would jump in and join in with them, but for the most part, we would just sit on the couch, sometimes taking our phones out to take video of them, and just laugh and laugh and smile and delight. And then at the end, give them a big hug, look at them in the face, use their name and say, I love you, and send them to bed. And throughout the years, it's been this moment of, of blessing and of unconditional love because it didn't matter what teacher had emailed to say that their behavior in class was not acceptable that day or what chore they had not followed through on or what sibling they had slugged when I wasn't looking. It didn't matter because in that moment, they were going to be loved and lovely simply because I loved them. This is what happens with Jesus prior to his ministry. Before he has healed anyone, before he has preached anywhere, before he's turned water to wine, raises the dead, or he is baptized by his cousin. And as he stands to his feet, he hears the father's voice sing over him, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The blessing of God poured out on Jesus And it's in this confidence of knowing that he is blessed that he can sit there at the table breaking the bread, holding both blessing and brokenness in his hands. And he says, when you get together, remember, my body is broken for you and he gives to them. In the next 48 hours, God in the flesh will submit his power to the broken hands of our humanity. He will die death by crucifixion, most likely dying of asphyxiation as God's human lungs would fill with blood. His body is broken. He gives his life away for the world, for the Palestinians and the Jews, for the Republicans and the Democrats, for the old school islanders and those who are just moving in, for those who are legal and illegal, for the dark-skinned and the light-skinned. He gives his life away for all that he has deemed lovely simply because he loves them. He gives his life away so that we might be with him in our ordinary, everyday lives, in the blessing that he has bestowed on us, in our brokenness, and that we might then give our lives away for the sake of others. Your blessedness is not about what you bring to the table. It's what he brings to the table. We meet Jesus as we receive the bread, and then the world meets Jesus as they receive us and we give our lives away.
like bread, our lives are pretty ordinary. Sure, we have extraordinary days, but for the most part, got to do laundry, got to go grocery shopping, got to pay bills, got to clean the shower, right? But when we put our lives in Jesus' hands, like bread, mysteriously the supernatural breaks through. When we put our lives in Jesus' hands, we experience his blessing, understanding that we are sacred because he says so. We allow ourselves to be broken before God. Our sin is exposed. Our weakness is exposed. But it is in the failure and the frailty that God's grace can rush in and we can soak up his love and his goodness. When we have placed our lives in Jesus' hands, we are given for the sake of others. And just like the loaves were multiplied, God's love and grace can be multiplied to us. We meet Jesus when we receive the bread. And the world meets Jesus as they receive us and we give ourselves away. The city, culture, will tell you that you will find your life when you focus on it. But the Jesus way is different. Jesus' way says you will be most alive, most human, most like the one who loves you when you give your lives away for the sake of others understanding that you are blessed even in bad circumstances. Your brokenness is a necessity for you to experience his grace. And he's calling you to then give your life away in the same way that it was given for you. As we wrap up our service, we are going to come to the table in just a moment. But here's the thing. I like to do this thing every year at Thanksgiving. I like to hear from all of you, and I know that there are some of you, you're like, this is awkward. What is somebody going to say? I don't know. We can't control it. Just know that Chris has a button at the back. He can mute somebody if he needs to. But I want to take a moment. Jeff, you can come on up and and play underneath Mary and uh, Jalen, too. Um, But I want to take a moment, and I want to invite some of you brave folks, to come up and to just say a word, to just take a moment and proclaim with your mouth and say, you know what, God, I want to thank you for this. It doesn't have to be anything extraordinary because the reality is when we open up our eyes to, to what's happening around us, the very ordinary parts of our life, the extraordinary breaks through. So here, as they start playing up here, seriously, I'm not kidding. I'm inviting some of you to come forward before we receive communion. And I want to hear from you. And I want to hear what you're thankful for today as we prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving. You coming up, Lisa? Come on up. All right, here's the deal. There's food downstairs, too, so you can't go super long. I love you, but I know your tendency. I am thankful for all of you beautiful people. I'm thankful for you. She has been like amazing in my life. I am grateful and thankful for God just loving me enough to keep me 
whole insane because it's been a very, very trying and troublesome uh, year, past two years actually, but it's getting better and it's getting better because I'm leaning more towards God instead of trying to take the wheel and drive myself. I'm not a very good driver, I've seen, I've learned. Yeah, and um, I think that's it. I'm grateful for him keeping my family whole, keeping us safe, and keeping all of my friends. I consider all of you my friends and family. So I'm grateful for that. Every day I see your faces, I smile, and it makes my heart happy. And that's it. Okay, I don't keep up. I'm grateful for Jeff, too. When I came in the door, I saw him. I was so happy. <laughs> Come here, Cecilia. Hi, all. Um, I'm grateful that my husband agreed to let me take my son to Hope Church and that Juka, my son's learning so much at Hope Kids. And it's been wonderful to watch him grow and watch him grow his faith. And um, thank you, guys. Thank you so much for everything. I'm very grateful today, and just as we were coming to service, I was just sharing with Tiani a few things. Um, I'm grateful for the ability to make a very mid-career move at the time I did. I took a very bold step this year to come back to school, and when we got the Roosevelt Island United, began to check. Um, compared to other places I've been to in the U.S., it was like I didn't know anybody here. But coming here, you know, we just found home. And just having you guys every Sunday coming to church and Lola, Ladi, they've all been very, and everybody here has really been great and kind and loving to us. And I'm just thankful that God really sees ahead and makes provision and sends people ahead to help you. So um, in this, I'm confident. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, I came to Hope Church in April during my the hardest time, one of the hardest times of the year. I felt I felt so broken that time, and I just feel like that's the moment I should give myself to God, to Jesus. Um, I'm very grateful that He brought me here and be joining Hope Church. And another thing is, I'm very grateful that I can see. Right now, I feel like very grateful that I can see the sunrise every single day. It means God gave me another day to feel His wor- His words, to live with His blessings, and I hope you guys have a really wonderful journey with Him and to know His words, to get to know more about Him. Yeah, thank you. In this moment, I am powerless to understand how this happened. I'm talking? No, I, I played the piano. And uh, obviously, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm still playing the piano after having a stroke in uh, uh, January of 2017. But really, what I am most grateful for is the fact that I had a stroke. Yes, you heard me right. I am grateful for that stroke because in my process of recovery, I, I created what I what I might call a, a 21st 
century proverb. Your life is a drama in which you are the star and the director, but you're not the writer. I would not have written in. Hey, you're supposed to get a stroke in January of 2017, but because of that stroke, I was able to experience a greater appreciation of the gift of what the only thing that matters, and that is life. Yes, life in all of its ordinariness. In all of its sadness, as well as its joy, it is the gift in which you have everything. There is nothing more, nothing more you need, nothing more you need to ask for. You are a continuing part of an eternal creative process. It's like there's an ocean of unlimited creativity. That we've nicknamed God. Okay, you're a wave in that ocean. Can you picture that? If you're a wave in an ocean, you're part of the ocean, and everything that's available in that ocean of unlimited creativity is available to you every day for you to give. That's why I love this season. It gives me another chance to see. How much I can give back to this unlimited creative ocean, and for this I say, truly, thank you. That's great, Roy. Thanks, Roy. Went from one microphone to another. Um, I would just like to say I'm just so grateful for Hope Church and、um, especially for Dan and Amanda. I just feel like they're very real people, and thank you for letting us into your messes and being open about you know things that aren't going perfect. Because it definitely I feel like it invites me and other people here to share you know the messes that we have going on in our life. And I've just felt so grateful to every person I've met here has been open about you know crap going on in life. And it's just felt like nobody's putting up a mask. Like we're okay, that we're imperfect, and we can share that with each other. And it's just definitely made me feel at home when I'm far away from home. So it's great. Hello. Some of you know mine and Janet's story. And part of that brokenness、uh, means that you ooze on others,、uh, and especially in my case, Dan and Amanda. And I'm sure because they're such good friends of ours, you probably made friends with them too. And so I'm thankful for Dan and Amanda, not because they're a pastor, but because they're my friend. And when I ooze, and when our brokenness bleeds, they mostly don't dislike me. So I'm thankful for them both, and for you all. Thank you for recovering with us. It's good, right? It's good to hear the gratitude.